Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining the movement. If this is your first time, come on in and sit down. We think you'll like it. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. 615-737-1045 if you want to join the program based on what I'm saying or if you want to take it in another direction. As long as it's good. We're good with it. 737-1045. Tonight, several things to get to. Some fun stuff towards the end of the show, including a 20th anniversary of one of my favorite TV series of all time, one that maybe you overlooked or didn't see. So I'm going to lay that out for you. We're going to bring back why is this a thing. We haven't done that. I don't know that we got to it last week, so we're definitely going to do that today because something's definitely on my nerves, and I don't understand why we're seeing so much of it. And I've got uh, something coming up on college football I think you're going to like. But 34 is the number to open this show. 34. That's the number of roughing the passer penalties so far in the three weeks of the NFL season. Now, I told you, and you remember this, I told you before the preseason even started that even though bloviators across this country we're spending so much time talking about this helmet rule and ruling it and just assuming it was going to be the destruction of football. I believe that it would be corrected in the preseason if it was a problem there, and I don't really think it really was, and that it would not be that big a factor once we got to the regular season. And I believe that that's been true. I said before the preseason even started, that this landing on the quarterback, the so-called Aaron Rodgers rule that came from the Anthony Barr hit that broke Rodgers' collarbone last year, would end up being far more of a story. And it was what worried me before the season started. Now, I don't like to toot my own horn too often. But in the words of Arn Anderson, toot toot. It is such an issue, folks. It is a disaster, as a matter of fact. Now we've got William Hayes tearing his ACL largely because he was trying not to land on a quarterback. Both he and Adam Gase said it. We've got four roughing calls alone in the first half of the Monday night game in Tampa Bay. Interestingly, we somehow have not gotten anything controversial really in any of the Titans games, at least with this particular rule. But 34 is still an average of over one per franchise, even though not every franchise has been called for it. Now, there are a few things that we need to look at here on both sides of this. But let's go to Jerry Jones, first of all. He was in Dallas, and he did a radio interview 
down there, a show that he does every single week in Dallas about the Cowboys and about, you know, just being Jerry Jones. And so he was asked about these roughing the passer penalties. And he had some interesting comments. Maybe you might even consider them dumb. I would imagine Roger Goodell is not particularly thrilled with them. If you have not heard this yet, turn up the radio a little bit and listen to this. The way I see our future is I see a uh, real serious uh, emphasis on uh, youth football, amateur football. Uh, I see it reflected at the high school level. Then a step above that will be the collegiate level. And I watch it game that certainly has a lot of finesse in it, but is a great game and makes these kinds of adjustments we're talking about. But when it comes to pro football, to use a boxing term, that's you put the six-ounce gloves on. <laughs> that's when you, 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 you don't fight with those 10-outs or you don't fight with those headgears. Everybody's being really paid to go out, and they're paid a lot of money to go out and incur uh, those type situations that have more risk in them. It's real important that pro football distinguish itself as a very physical game relative to the game at college, relative to the game in high school. That's very important. Now, where to find that balance, that's one thing. But when we finish or when we get to a point in the future in time, you'll see pro football where they put the six-ounce gloves on and where the men are playing. So basically, now I get sort of the gist of what he was saying to some extent, but basically the way that you can listen to that is, all right, these guys are getting paid a lot of money, so if it's cool, so it is cool if they get hurt. It's cool if they go out and hurt each other. We expect them to be violent. We expect this stuff. Now, one thing Jerry Jones is right about right there is that football needs to be physical. It always will be, or it's going to cease to exist, at least on a real lucrative level. You cannot, cannot, cannot make a definitively violent game safe. It is always going to be dangerous, no matter what you try and do. You should always be looking for ways to make it safer without interrupting or infecting the integrity of the game. That's the risk you take when playing. Teaching kids to tackle with their heads up. I did a TV package on that years ago. The heads up program was smart. But these penalties are a huge problem right now, and the competition committee is going to meet next week to talk about it, although no one believes or is reporting that it's likely to change until next year at the earliest. But Jerry Jones basically saying because they're the pros, we need to make sure it's more physical than it is in college. It's always going to be more physical just because the guys are moving faster. They're more skilled they're more athletic, they're bigger, but the idea that because we're paying them a lot of money, then they should incur the risks, that's probably not something I would imagine Roger Goodell wants to hear in 2018 about the NFL. Now let's look at it from the league perspective. While we're all lamenting this, because it's so obnoxious watching Clay Matthews get flagged three weeks in a row for basically playing football, let's not forget why this is happening. Protecting the quarterback is super important because it's the one position where Vegas lines change significantly based on who is playing at that position. Not just the Vegas lines, as a matter of fact, but also the television numbers. When it was Brett Hundley last year in Green Bay instead of Aaron Rodgers, that hurt Packers ratings pretty badly, and it hurt national ratings, obviously, playing those games. When Tom Brady was out years ago and it was the Matt Castle show, that was no good. 
the quarterbacks are the stars in football. I've talked about it before. The NBA is where the stars are because they're not wearing helmets, and we see them emote, and we see every little thing that they do on the court, and as such, they become celebrities. If Ryan Gosling or any number of other people acted in a helmet, we wouldn't know who they were. Football players are largely anonymous. You might know they play football by their size, but you wouldn't see them as stars. That's why the NBA always has a leg up in in that phrase. It's why Los Angeles, this is the best example. Los Angeles is a Lakers town first, second, and third. And the main reason is because the celebrities react to the celebrities that they're watching on the basketball court. They know what Magic's face looked like. They knew what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's face looked like. They, of course, now know what LeBron James and Lonzo Ball and all of that crew, what those guys look like. They watch Kobe. They watch Shaq. Could they actually pick Jared Goff out of a lineup if they were asked to do so? No, because unless you see him in post-game press conferences, you don't know what his face looks like. You just simply don't. And that becomes an issue. So the NFL is doing whatever they can from a business perspective, to protect their most lucrative asset. Quarterbacks are where the money's made. You don't see Khalil Mack hosting Saturday Night Live. You see Peyton Manning doing it. You see Tom Brady doing it. You see guys that were stars. Like Michael Strahan is a major anomaly who was able to kind of make it even though he wasn't necessarily in a glamour position to be a star, but Strahan was able to make himself a celebrity, had an interesting look with the gap in his teeth and things like that, but he found a way to talk a lot, which is why I don't blame Jalen Ramsey for running his mouth as much as he does. The only way we're going to know who Jalen Ramsey is is if he runs his mouth as much as he does. Some guys are always going to be more important than others even if everybody is working just as hard as everybody else. Ratings, lines, money, interest, competition in an increasingly a la carte entertainment marketplace. On the surface, you understand what the NFL is doing to a point. The problem, though, is the rule cannot include landing on the quarterback because that's the essence of football. Now, if you're driving a guy into the ground, that's one thing. But if you're having a Morpheus or Neo or Trinity your way around a penalty, that is far different. I Right now, I would not let my son play defense if he wanted to play football because it's a no-win proposition. Remember that stat I read to you last week in the final segment in the things that make you go, hmm? The average passer rating in the NFL for week two was 105. Aaron Rodgers' career rating is 103. That's ridiculous. Points are everywhere, except, I guess, in Jacksonville on Sunday. You got tons of yards. You got Ryan Fitzpatrick out here throwing for 400 yards in three straight games. Defenses across the league, with the exception of Minnesota, who Josh Allen was able to torch, and Jacksonville, just a very, very select few. Everybody talks about how defense is terrible across the league, and in some cases, they're right. In most cases, they're right, but be honest. The margin for being good on defense is awfully tough these years. Richard Sherman says the NFL cares about his quarterbacks and nobody else, and he's right. And the NFL's right. But there's still a problem here because it feels like football isn't football with this rule. The helmet rule applied correctly makes sense, especially in this day and age with what we know now that we didn't know then. Total sense. But the quarterback rule is one that looks like AstroTurf. 
It feels artificial, and it looks designed clearly to make sure quarterbacks are always healthy, but doing it by taking defensive intensity away, not in a natural way. How do you ask a 275-pound, 300-pound guy to slow up and baby a quarterback to the ground? Kevin Clark, who writes for The Ringer, he used to be with the Wall Street Journal, really good at his job, a good Twitter follow as well, tweeted Sunday that the rule was simple and he didn't understand why everybody had such a problem with it. Look, you can hit the quarterback, you just can't use your body to do it. Obviously, that was a joke, but some people watched it fly over their heads like a Josh Allen pass, not against the Vikings. I have no idea how you're supposed to play defense. Are we approaching a time when rushing the passer at all becomes illegal? Because that's the next step. They're going to pull back off this ledge, I think, and change this rule next year, at least a little bit. But the next step in the opposite direction is, all right, they're punters now and you can't hit them at all once the ball's out of their hands. But Clay Matthews was flagged for hitting Alex Smith, who still had the football in his hands. And Alex Smith even said, I have no idea how you're supposed to play defense. After that hit. Football's got to be football. Right now, defenders are so worried about technique. They're so worried about not being flagged. They're actually having to go at half speed, and that's when you get hurt. Ask William Hayes about that. Or, in the case of Bucks steelers they basically said, screw these flags, screw these penalties, we're coming for you. And then they got flagged four times in 30 minutes for 60 yards. I don't know what the sweet spot is here, but it is definitely affecting football. And let me tell you something. Wait until one of these penalties gets called in the NFC or the AFC championship game or in the Super Bowl. Wait until you see the social media outcry and what these players say after that game. Because that's when the rule is really going to change. Because that could affect money the opposite direction. Super Bowls and championships and people's jobs being on the line. Not to mention all the money being wagered as the stakes grow in the NFL. This is going to be something that is not going to go away. I understand what the league's trying to do. But there has got to be a middle ground. Because 34 roughing the passer penalties in three weeks is untenable. Coming up next. A quarterback leaving Clemson. Why he's wrong, even though I feel sorry for him. That's next. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin, as always, on Twitter at jmartzone. 615-737-1045 if you want to join the program. little radio head for you coming back here on a Wednesday. 42-4. and I started out the first segment with a number. I'm going to start the second one out with a number two. 42-4. That's pretty impressive, right? That is the combined record in starting situations of two college football players. Jalen Hurts and Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant has said he wants to and will transfer from Clemson University after losing that job, the starting gig, the starting quarterback job to freshman Trevor Lawrence on Monday. Dabo Swinney met with him, said that the meeting was very emotional, gave him the day off from practice, and then Kelly Bryant didn't show up yesterday either. 
and he goes to the Greenville News and says he wants out. Called it a, quote, slap in the face, unquote. This is a layered situation. I feel for Kelly Bryant in some ways, just like I felt for Jalen Hurts. He doesn't know what this feels like. Here's what he said to the newspaper, quote, they asked me how I felt about it. I was like, I'm not discrediting Trevor. He's doing everything asked of him, but on my side of it, I feel like I haven't done anything to not be the starter. I've been here. I've waited my turn. I've done everything y'all have asked me to do plus more. I've never been a distraction. I've never been in trouble with anything, unquote. All of that is true, but here is the problem for Kelly Bryant. It doesn't matter that all of that is true. Let's take each one of the objections or complaints and break it down from that statement. The first, I haven't done anything to not be the starter. On its face, that's true except for one issue. He hasn't done enough to win that job outright. Just because you've done nothing wrong doesn't mean you've done enough right. He's been pretty good, 16-2. and two. But he didn't distinguish himself enough to end that debate. He went to the college football playoff last year and lost to Alabama. But again, Jalen Hurts went to the national championship game two years in a row as the starter. He didn't finish that Georgia game as the starter. Tua came in and won it and won that job. Now, we feel bad for Jalen Hurts, and we feel bad for Kelly Bryant. But in the case of Hurts, Tua's the best quarterback Alabama's had since probably Joe Namath. In the end, he might be better than Broadway Joe. Who knows? Guess what? Me, meaning yours truly. I also haven't done anything to not be the Clemson starting quarterback, except that I have no eligibility and I'm not capable of playing the position. So that's one objection down. Number two, I've been here. I've waited my turn. Also true, but Kelly, I hate to tell you this. This is not the DMV. Even if you sit and wait all day, In that misery. Eventually, you do know at the DMV your number is going to be called at some point during that day. Now, you're not guaranteed that just because you sat behind Deshaun Watson, it's your team afterward. And you started last year. It's your team if you're the best option to get Clemson a national championship. Kelly Brent is a heck of an athlete. He's won games there. He's 16-2, and two, but he's not an elite quarterback. He is very similar to Jalen Hurts in that regard. Who throws the football better and more consistently in Tuscaloosa? It's Tua Tonga-Vailoa, and it's not even close. Who throws the football better in Clemson, in Anderson, South Carolina? It's Trevor Lawrence, the freshman. Nine touchdowns to two. And he's only thrown one more interception. They have a nearly identical completion percentage at 65. Kelly has 66.7, hasn't thrown nearly as many passes, and certainly hasn't been as good in the red zone. Trevor Lawrence is a better quarterback. Doesn't mean Kelly Bryant can't play. It just means it doesn't matter that you've said, I've been here, I've waited my turn. Not everybody gets to play at this level. Three. I've done everything y'all have asked me to do, plus more. I have never been a distraction. I've never been in trouble with anything. That is phenomenal. Kelly Bryant has been classy. He's gone about his business the right way. But that doesn't mean anything in a competition. Miscongeniality isn't the winner for a reason. 
Kelly Bryant has done all he's been asked to do, and that guarantees him absolutely nothing. You can do all your homework. You can get an A on every test. You can have perfect attendance. But if there's somebody that offers a little more in an academic bowl, they're going to be the one named the captain. Swinney has run a a, a clean program, really. And Bryant is an example of the kind of young men that he tries to recruit. He's a better athlete than Trevor Lawrence, but he's not the passer, which means the aerial threat just ain't the same for Kelly Bryant. Listen, Dennis Leary, way back in the day, had a comedy special called No Cure for Cancer. It was his first real stand-up special when he was sort of on the come-up. He was doing those MTV black-and-white commercials. There was no such thing as Rescue Me or Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll or Animal Kingdom or any of that. People were just discovering who Dennis Leary was at this point. He was foul-mouthed, and he talked a lot about drugs and alcohol and all sorts of things. But he had this one bit where he took aim at the self-help industry, built around the concept, that these people get rich just listening to others whine and say things like, I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy because my life didn't turn out the way I thought it would. And then he went into some pretty salacious subject matter that I won't get into here, but then he gets to the point. His response to I'm just not happy is, I thought I was going to be the starting center fielder for the Boston Red Sox. Life sucks. Get a helmet. Kelly Bryant went to Clemson University to be the quarterback. He went to Clemson University to compete for national championships. And at Clemson University, he did a fine job. He's now saying he did not get a fair shot. Dabo said he was 100% honest and transparent about where that quarterback competition stood at all times, that he was not holding anything from from Kelly or from Trevor, that Kelly won the job, did a great job as a starter last year, was slightly ahead of Lawrence at the end of camp getting into the season, but things changed. Dabo then said, this is not middle school. Now, some people tried to ascribe bad motives to that line, but what Dabo Swinney is saying here is unlike Little League where everybody has to play, equal time, fairness, that's not how it is at this level. It changes. It becomes a meritocracy rather than a socialist concept. It's about who wins, who gives you the best chance to win, and long-term, unfortunately for Kelly Bryant, it's Trevor Lawrence because he can throw. Dabo saw what happened at Alabama. And when he played Alabama last year, Kelly Bryant didn't even get 125 yards passing. He finished with 124, 19 rushing yards, and two interceptions. Dabo Swinney knows that if he's going to win a national championship, that path is very likely going to go through Nick Saban. That's a team Clemson has to beat, the Alabama Crimson Tide. The rest of the regular season, either one of those two quarterbacks probably could win it. It's not a particularly difficult schedule for Clemson until maybe the ACC championship game or maybe not even until the Final Four. But they're going to have to throw to beat Alabama. And watching the difference between Jalen Hurts and that Alabama offense to what Tua Tongo-Vailoa is doing. I mean, look what he did to A&M on Saturday, for crying out loud. 
I mean, Tua Tonga-Vailoa has 12 touchdowns, over 1,000 yards, and it looks like we're just seeing him start to blossom. He's going to get better. Trevor Lawrence is a freshman that can throw. There are a lot of similarities between Lawrence and Tua, just like there are a lot of similarities between Kelly Bryant and Jalen Hurts. Both Kelly and Jalen have careers somewhere, but it is not preordained that just because you were recruited and even got a chance to start at Alabama or Clemson, that that's where you're going to end up if you want to continue starting. Those are two very, very difficult places to keep those kind of jobs. So when you look at Kelly Bryan and you look at Jalen Hurts, you think of taking a bigger job at a bigger company. Like you might be the manager at some small mom and pop, but then you take something inside a corporation and all of a sudden there are other factors. All of a sudden you have to know things that maybe you don't or have a skill set that maybe you don't. And then you just find out, look, if I want to play, if I want to be a manager, I might have to go back to that mom and pop or maybe somewhere in the middle. Alabama is Apple. Clemson right now is Microsoft or Amazon or whatever it is you want to say. These are the two places along with the maybe Ohio State and a few others, but the two that really stand out, the two most dominant programs the last five years in college football, maybe you throw Ohio State, but I would say they're Clemson and Alabama. Kelly Bryan is good. He's just not good enough to be over Trevor Lawrence right now. Just like Tua has shown the same thing with Jalen. So while I feel bad for Kelly Bryant because he didn't do anything wrong, in the end, that just doesn't matter. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Little Sonic Youth for you. I'm Jason Martin. 615-737-1045 to join this program. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Tweet from Chris Lowe, who you hear every week on 3HL here on The Zone. Whenever I visited with Dabo Swinney, he's repeated a familiar theme. It was the same this spring. There is no lifetime contract. This is a quote. Everybody has to prove he's the best player every day. I tell Christian Wilkins that. I tell Cleveland Farrell that. I tell Kelly Bryant that. Exactly. At the risk of mentioning this particular example, based on what's happening in our country, there is no lifetime appointment in college football at Clemson or pretty much anywhere else. This is not the Supreme Court. And I will back away from that reference as fast as humanly possible. But there are levels. Eventually, you find your ceiling in life, right? Some politicians, to stay there for a second, can win a mayoral election, but that's the highest achievement they'll get. Others end up in Washington. One every four years ends up in the White House. Maybe you were really good in middle school and you start playing JV football. Maybe you even make it to varsity. But you never actually start. That was your ceiling. Maybe you start in varsity and your dream is to play for Oklahoma. But it's not very likely that that's going to happen. I remember I was calling Kentucky High School basketball a few years ago. And I had one particularly enthusiastic father come up to me to push his son's skill and make sure that I was paying real attention because that family just knew that their son was going to play at the University of Kentucky for John Calipari that that was the future for this family. They were decked out in Kentucky stuff at every game. 
I called that school's games the whole season. I knew that kid wasn't going to Kentucky Wesleyan after one game. Eventually, you just hit your limit. You hit the spot where you've maxed out your potential in that particular endeavor. Every one of us on this planet is talented at something. Most of us in multiple things. But there are degrees to that talent. Not everybody is going to get a chance to host national radio. Just kind of sticking in my industry because I'm staring at a microphone and the easiest examples are the ones right in front of your face. Some just do small AM stuff in very, very small markets where they call middle school basketball games on a house microphone or whatever it might be. It's the way it is. Now, what you believe about yourself can help drive you a lot. It can also drive you to a lot of problems and a lot of mistakes. Do I think Kelly Bryant's making a mistake leaving Clemson? No, not if he wants to keep playing football because he's not going to be the starter at Clemson. But Dabo is right. There is no lifetime contract. There should not be a lifetime contract. And that goes for the Kobe Bryant's and even the Michael Jordans of the world once they're past their prime and they can no longer do it anymore. There's going to be somebody younger, somebody faster, somebody that's going to give them a better chance to win, and they're eventually going to take that job because sports is a business. So again, I feel sorry for Kelly Bryant in certain respects, but hopefully this is sort of going to turn out to be a learning experience for Kelly Bryant. Trevor Lawrence is just better for Clemson right now. Let's go to Mike in Smyrna here on the Big Six. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, and all I got to say is this: uh, you know, you're talking. I mean, I'm glad to see a quarterback change uh, this week, only because uh, last year everybody snoozed on Syracuse, and my guys caught Clemson, and we're actually better this year than we were last year. So don't look past my guys this Saturday because we can make it two in a row. All right. Could be Mike. Mike calling up with some Syracuse smack talk. That is aggressive, I think is the word I would use. But sure, it could happen. I think Trevor Lawrence is probably going to give Clemson a much better chance to win. That's why he's starting. That's why Dabo's putting him in. Maybe he is respecting Syracuse. He's also giving Kelly Bryant a chance with the red shirt rule by telling him now instead of waiting until after Saturday when it would have affected Kelly Bryant. So Dabo, to me, not only gave Kelly Bryant a fair shake, but was incredibly gracious, honestly, in a lot of respects in the way that he handled it. Now, folks, I love the NBA. Changing gears here for a minute. If you know me at all, if you listen to me at all for any length of time, you know I love the association, the personalities, the drama, the star power. It's a fun sport, even though the regular season can feel very unnecessary a lot of the time. Warriors made a lot of games totally arbitrary last year. But we're three weeks into the NFL season, four into the college season. Football has taken over as it always does. But every time I look up, there's a national show, television or radio, in some kind of deep information dive and deep debate about the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, the Big Six asks, why is this a thing? LeBron James is a Laker. This is something we know. We saw it coming before it happened. It is clear based on already having double digits worth of Hollywood projects in line, this was not a last-second decision. He wants that post-hoops future. 
If he wins in L.A., all the better. But here's the thing, and this is what I don't understand from a content perspective. I get that talking about LeBron James moves the needle in sports media. So I understand why we would mention it, why we would do a little bit of time on a long show about it. But the Golden State Warriors are almost assuredly, barring multiple injuries, going to win it again. Maybe the Rockets get it done. Nobody in the East is strong enough, even Boston, who I do like. So we're talking about a non-story before the preseason. I heard Steve Hartman on Fox Sports Radio over the weekend say that once LeBron's presser happened, which it did a couple of days ago, nobody out there would care anymore about the Rams or the Chargers. And that's true. It really is. Because as I said in the first segment, L.A. is a Lakers town first and then a Dodgers town. The Rams haven't been there long since they returned. But even before that, they didn't matter. I still have to stop myself from saying San Diego before I say Chargers. And more people care about USC than either pro team out there. What I don't like, though, is the national media being so biased in terms of overcovering regional stories the rest of the country doesn't care that much about. Rich Eisen got it wrong on Sunday. PK kind of went after him on Twitter. Unless you want to speak about technicalities, he said, quote, don't look now, but Blaine Gabbert just defeated Blake Bortles in the Jacksonville Jaguars, unquote. That was not true. Unless you look at it technically, because Blaine Gabbert did start the game. Pardon the interruption, often gets it wrong about Nashville. Always talks about how the Predators are nothing because he doesn't pay attention. They don't know. They don't have any interest or knowledge about it, and that's just par for the course. But Hartman spends like 15 minutes, and then he comes back and talks more about it on why LeBron's press conference Monday was so important. Why exactly? The preseason hasn't even started yet. Yes, he's a huge superstar in sports, but he's also one that's probably about to be a five seed at best in the Western Conference. What exactly is compelling here? LeBron talking about being on an average basketball team is compelling? ESPN, Fox, FS1, wherever it is you look, they're talking about LeBron James right now. I I like talking about LeBron James. It's usually intriguing, but it's September, and it's football that moves the needle. Here's what we know about sports radio. A little inside baseball for you. You talk about hockey in most markets, it is death in the ratings. Even here in Nashville, it's not consistently going to work. You talk about baseball outside of the Northeast or select places on the West Coast, that is death. Here in Nashville, if you talk too much about Vandy, it's a no-no. There are unwritten rules about content, at least if you're paying attention, as it pertains to your audience size. Now, there's no rule against talking NBA nationally. Locally, it's really different, but not nationally. But there should be no question, right, that football should be the focus of every show in the country. And LeBron James' topics are leading many national shows on TV and radio. Folks, this is just flat-out ignorant. It's butt-stupid. Tiger Woods, that's an exception. When he's involved, all bets are off, just as they were on Monday, and deservedly so. But can we at least get to Halloween before we're talking about a Lakers team that's probably going to win 45 games? There is going to be, believe me, plenty of time to obsess about LeBron James. But we get football for like four months. We'll have the NBA for nearly eight. Can we talk about what's now rather than what's to come when even the preseason hasn't even started? So I ask you, maybe you disagree with me, but LeBron James being a major sports topic on September 26th, 2018, why is this a thing Dot, dot, dot. Yet. Final segment next. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. 
Final segment, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Appreciate you being here with me. Vault calls coming up. Following us. That ought to be very positive. After Saturday, I was in Knoxville for the first time for a Tennessee game. It was a fun atmosphere, and then there was a football game that had to be played. So we do a couple of segments on a fairly regular basis around here. And a quick story, when I was doing the Titans Radio oral history piece a few weeks ago, which uh, anybody, a lot of folks have sent some very kind things. I appreciate it. But I hope that it's their story and just how hard they work that you took from it. But you can find it at the Big Six blog at 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog. When I was interviewing Dave McGinnis, Coach Mack, one of the quotes that he used was that at no point when the weather delays were happening, did the people in that room turn around and look at each other and say, what the what? And I, for some reason, found this to be utterly hilarious, even though I know what the what was a kind way of saying something else. I've decided that in the final segment on Wednesday, we're going to do what the what Wednesday. And to do what the what Wednesday, which is basically going to be rapid fire most weeks, even though tonight it's going to be a little bit different, where I'm just going to go through some of the things that are happening in sports in fairly quick fashion. To do a what the what Wednesday, we already use this guy in another piece of audio. And even though this is actually something that annoys me, I think it's perfect for the segment. So let's kick off what the what Wednesday. What? 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 Per Travis Haney, Jim Wyatt, PK, others, Marcus Mariota looked to be throwing a little harder and a little farther in practice today. Still battling the ulnar nerve issue, but looks to be progressing nicely to be comfortable to start on Sunday against the Eagles, the defending world champs. Mike Vrabel today said, look, he looks better every day. He looks more confident every day. Should be good to go. Blaine Gabbard, on the other hand, is in, in uh, concussion protocol. Austin Davis now a Titan getting up to speed as the backup. Mariota still rocking that glove, which he hopes to bounce at some point, but says it does assist with the grip. You know what? Kurt Warner made that thing work for the tail end of his career, and he was pretty successful. He almost won a Super Bowl for the Arizona freaking Cardinals wearing that glove. So maybe that glove's not such a bad thing. What? 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 Ezekiel Elliott. Says he's not going to ask Jason Garrett for more carries in Dallas. Folks, Zeke has not had 20 carries in a game this season. He has 274 rushing yards on the year, which does tie him for the league lead. But he's unquestionably the most dynamic player on that offense. Dak is struggling, struggling mightily. I don't know how much of it is on him because that offensive line is utterly putrid and they have no weapons their number one receiver is Cole Beasley, basically, and that dude's not a number one receiver. The Cowboys are averaging 13.7 points per game. But Zeke's quote is, look, until the execution gets better, it doesn't matter how many carries he gets. He's not going to get a lot of opportunities when his team is down 17. And he's not wrong. He also says he backed up Jason Garrett and the coaching. So, look, it's not the coaching. The game plans have been good. It's all execution. 
as a whole, the offense has to be better. He is right, but Zeke needs to get more touches. What? 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 20 years ago this week, Sports Night premiered on ABC. One of my favorite shows ever. And I did not watch it until it was on syndication on Comedy Central nearly 15 years ago. Maybe that's why it only made it two years. It was Aaron Sorkin's first attempt at doing what he would later on perfect on the West Wing and then largely screw up with the newsroom. Just like those two shows, it was left-leaning, but the issues were more believable and concrete, and they were also timely. The cast was absurd. Felicity Huffman, Peter Krause, Josh Charles, Robert Guillaume, Joshua Malina, Sabrina Lloyd. That's just the six main ones. Many of these folks have gone on to huge careers. Charles, of course, was in Dead Poets Society, ended up uh, in a key role on The Good Wife. Robert Guillaume was on Soap and then was really successful on Benson. Both of those shows are two of my parents' favorite shows of all time. Malina would end up on The West Wing with Sorkin there. Then he would end up on Scandal for ABC. Felicity Huffman, also on ABC, she's married to William H. Macy. That is an absurdly talented just family. She won Emmys for Desperate Housewives, nominated for American Crime, also nominated for an Academy Award. Sorkin tried to do this two more times. Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip was an attempt to redo Sports Night with an hour drama centered around a sketch show like SNL. And it hit the same year. It debuted the same year as 30 Rock. And Tina Fey came out and said, look, that show has no shot because of ours. And she was right. It also wasn't funny. And it preached. The newsroom, Jeff Daniels was great, but it was three painful years and was even more preachy and used faction, which is inaccurate, facts that are real and then moves them around to turn them fictional. It just didn't work. Whatever your opinion of any of these shows on our last like 30, 45 seconds here tonight, if you could find Sports Night, you absolutely should. It was built around the inner machinations of a third-tier cable sports station and basically its version of SportsCenter. And it was modeled after Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann. And it was awesome. And it's why the West Wing ended up being what the West Wing was, because all of the stuff you saw on the West Wing, you also originally saw on Sports Night. So that is making you smarter tonight as opposed to doing the stat. We'll save the stat for Friday. You can stream it on Amazon, but you can also get DVDs for like, I don't know, pretty cheap. We got Vol Calls coming up next. Stick with us here on 104.5 The Zone, and I will see you again on Friday with more of the Big Six. Good night.